Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. There is a new documentary out, and it comes from a strong point of view. It's called The Rest of the Story. It's on X Twitter. And it's done by a uh, reporter that I've known for many years named Lara Logan. You know her. She used to work for CBS News, 60 Minutes. She worked for Fox News for a while. Uh, and she joins us now from um, Texas. So in the promotional, uh, thanks for coming on, Lara. It's nice to see you. Um, in the promotion for the rest of the story or documentary, this quote uh, appears. If they didn't want people getting even close to the Capitol, it would never have happened. It happened because they wanted it to happen. This is the government we are talking about, unquote. So can you be more specific about they? You're obviously saying that this yeah. was engineered by, I guess, yes. the Democratic Party. Is that what you're saying it was? Well, first of all, that was a young man I interviewed who said that. His name is Philip Anderson, and he almost died on the steps of the Capitol next to a young woman called Roseanne Boyland. And what you had, Bill, was a situation where ordinary people were pushed from behind. So you had protesters who had no intention. They weren't there to cause trouble. They weren't there to overthrow the government. And they were pushed from behind into that tunnel where a lot of the violence took place. And at the same time, you had the police decide to make a stand in that tunnel and push people, even though they knew that there was nowhere for these people to go. And we have, you know, reviewed hours and hours and hours of footage. And um, and I can show you, uh, literal, uh, and we will show you, the audience, conversations where people are saying to the police, you know, just let us through. And they say, well, they're letting people in, you know, on the other side. Why don't you just go around to the other side? You can get in that way. So there's a lot that doesn't make sense about why the police chose to make that stand in that very tiny space. And when they pushed all those people out of the tunnel and they were being pushed from behind, what inevitably happened is that they collapsed and there was nowhere for those people to go. And Philip okay. Anderson nearly died at the bottom of that pile and Roseanne Boylan nearly died with him. And to answer your question specifically, what, what I'm trying to say to you is that I have spoken to many different law enforcement officers from all over the country. And the very first thing that all of them say is there was no security at the Capitol. If you actually look at the very first breach on that pathway going up to the building, there aren't tens of thousands of people at the Capitol at that point. There's three police officers in front of a makeshift barrier. They call it bicycle racks. And there's only a handful of people that come up. Okay, right. So it took look, an I'm actual not... handful of people not going to argue the capital. Not going to argue the policing and the security was what it should have been. But are you saying in your I, documentary? 
that this was I, I'm not saying that it wasn't what it should have been. Okay. I'm saying that these people, this is one of the most secure buildings in the country of the United States of America. It is a counterterrorism zone. It is protected against nuclear, biological, and radiological attack. So the idea that they don't have well-established security protocols to secure that building if they want to is ridiculous. They did it on January 7th. If you look at the security at the Capitol on January 7th, but I still you don't know, know who is that calling the shots. Who, who are you alleging told the police to okay, stand so down? I, again, I didn't, I didn't allege anything. First of all, I want to be very clear on that. Well, and the then you're using quotes from yet. people who do. You use, you're saying they, I'm uh, using it happened because they wanted it to happen. Who says, if they, it is his opinion that with the power of the federal government, if they wanted to secure the Capitol, they could have. And what we have found is that there were many things. For example, Bill, if you wanted to secure the Capitol, where were your mounted police officers? One mounted police officer is worth 10 police officers on the ground. They were not present. We have uncovered body camera footage where a police officer says, we're being set up. Look at this. Why don't they have this? Set Why up haven't by they done that? Who? We're being set up. We have set Tara up Johnson. by who? When you hey, look, Lara, okay. I can't are, do a micro analysis. So, wait, wait. There are many different layers. Okay. Look, there are many have, different layers. I have specific who? questions. I can't Bill, challenge I what. You if you will let me give it. Can I you can't... let me give my specific answer? I'm not going to sit here and say that we have uncovered every single part of who they is. This is obviously much bigger than one person. I can tell you that the people who are responsible for securing the Capitol chose not to secure it. So when Stephen Sund, who is on the Capitol Police Board as a non-voting member, when he went to the, the House, uh, the Sergeant of Arms of the House and the Sergeant of Arms of the Senate and the Speaker of the House, and he requested six times for the Capitol to be secured, those three specific people refused to give him the security that he asked for. Okay, so and if I you believe want to know that. Who chose not to secure the Capitol? They are some of those people. Okay. Nancy Pelosi I, I is believe, one of the people who chose not to secure the Capitol. I believe that Nancy Pelosi and the other people that this man approached could not have cared less. When you do these documentaries, you are relying yeah. on the people that you interview for their point of in view. In part. Okay. In part. Not in You entirely, have to remember yeah. that all of the people that were convicted in this, and there are hundreds, we just gave the stats, okay? So there have been uh, 623 people convicted. They either pled guilty. Convicted of what? Various things. Uh, yes. Okay. They so when either, you say various Wait, things, wait, Lara, and you let me get it. my question out. They either pled guilty or were tried in front of a jury of people, ordinary people. It's not like the government Bill, seized them. I'm a little shocked at the, at the way you're laying that out because you're leaving out so much. I mean, first of all, these are juries that are 100% um, Democrat in a city where they have been fed a constant diatribe of insurrection. Okay, they're filled, their minds are filled with lies. If you look at the jury pools, none of these people even remotely claim to be objective. So this idea that the jury and the judges are somehow a real jury of your peers who are objective is ludicrous, number one. Number two, a vast number of people who pled guilty did so because they knew they would never get a fair trial, number two. Number three, not only did they know they wouldn't get a fair trial, but many of them don't have the resources to defend themselves. So you have Trump supporters who are often represented by public defenders. Some of those public defenders are great attorneys, but many of them are far, far left and don't agree with or sympathize that's, or like anything about the people that right, they're representing. That's the system, Then on though. top of that, yes, I know it's, it's the, system, the system, but when you've got the same judges who sit there in court and make political statements about an insurrection that never actually happened. There are no charges for insurrection, and none of those hundreds of people that you've cited have yeah. ever been charged with domestic terrorism. They've never been charged with insurrection or crimes related to insurrection outside of a handful. I think it's about 18 The Proud Boy people. people. All right, look. Yes, they're the only what, ones. What with disturbs those kind of charges, me about but everyone this. Everyone is convicted of that crime. Lara. 
what disturbs me yes. about this, I, I am agnostic on it. I'm not yeah. saying that you are wrong. But no, what I disturbs me about this is it's impossible, impossible, right, to put together the truth unless you have hard evidence. For example, Nancy Pelosi, you would bring people in to testify that she said, I want Trump crucified, so I'm not going to order the National Guard. I'm going to prevent them from coming in. That's the kind of evidence you need at this level, and it's not there. Now, right. I believe, so, I believe I, that Nancy I Pelosi wanted to use it that. against Trump. That's what I believe. Not, sure. And, and, you know, and that and you may be right on that. Now, this series is not an attempt to lay out the conspiracy and point fingers at every single person who was involved. This series is told from the perspective of the people who traveled across this country to be there on January 6th, because they are painted by the media and by politicians on the left and the right as being a bunch of xenophobes and Islamophobes and deplorables who all were involved in violence and who all broke, you know, the law. Well, and that's not things. true. And, there are many, many people is, who weren't, but they were dumb, right. Lara, and that's the point. For, for, for going well, into um, that Capitol. Sorry, they were dumb. I, you know, everyone's entitled there. to their opinion. That everyone's entitled That's to not their an opinion. opinion. When you see somebody breaking windows, when you see police saying, don't come I'm in, and you about, go in, I'm, that's dumb. Bill, I'm not uh, defending people who broke windows or did anything else. I'm not defending no, or but they, condoning violence. Everybody saw and, that. They saw I the chaos but you, and but the But do you know who those people were? Do you know who they were? Do you know how many of those people were working for the federal government? Do you know how many of those people were trained agitators? You don't know the answer to those questions. We don't know the answer to those questions. The American people have been denied answers to those questions. What we do know is that you can chip away at getting to the truth by, un by identifying things that you can actually confirm. So for example, the federal government now admitted during the Proud Boys trial that there were more than 30 undercovers that they had, uh, that they're willing to acknowledge on the ground, but they will not speak for the Department of Homeland Security. They will not speak about the, the, the CIA, for example. They will not speak about the Defense Intelligence Agency. They will not address what any of those other agencies were doing and All why ask, uh, and whether the only or not way they that happens on the ground. is if Trump or another Republican is elected, okay, yeah. and then they put a special counsel, as I myself told President Trump to do two weeks yeah. after the election. I said, have Barr appoint a special prosecutor to look into this whole thing. They didn't do it. Trump didn't do it. I don't know why he didn't. No. But I, don't know. I, I, I would support a special counsel looking into January 6th. Lara, thanks very much. We appreciate it. If you want to see the documentary, you, it is called um, it is called The Rest of the Story after Paul Harvey. Um, and you can find it on Twitter X. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Vivek Ramaswamy competing with Joe Biden pretty strongly. Real clear polling average has him at 7.2 percent up against uh, Donald Trump's 56.6 percent. Who was there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The foundations in the line of duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America, over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings and barbecues, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. 
Org. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? ARC Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds, and stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. ARC Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. arcseedkits.com. And joining us now from uh, Columbus, Ohio, is the aforementioned Vivek Ramaswamy. First of all, am I saying Vivek? Is that, is that how you say it? It's pretty close. It's Vivek, like cake. Vivek. Okay. Yeah, you got so it. So I asked my staff 85 times to give me a pronouncer, and I got 85 different pronouncers. But I'll try well, to remember that. The fact that. is, that's what most of the media gets about 100 different pronouncers, so your staff has narrowed it down pretty well. But it's so the you're a Harvard guy. Uh, were you in the business school up there? I was an undergrad there, and then I went to law school after that at Yale. At Yale. Okay, so I'm going to hold both of those things against you, if you don't mind. Um, that's fair. <laughs> actually going to be at Harvard uh, this weekend. I have some business up there with them. All right, I got to ask you some uh, questions about uh, the world in which we live. And you know me, you know, straight talk. We don't want any political nonsense here. We just want Amen. your uh, opinion and why you believe what you believe. So Putin, um, yep. if you're elected president, you're going to have to deal with him. What kind of guy, how would you describe Putin to somebody who doesn't know him? ruthless and acts in his own self-interest. And so, Bill, my point is that Putin doesn't trust us now and we don't trust him, but we can trust him to follow his self-interest and he can trust us to follow ours. So I'm going to end the war in Ukraine and I'll do it with a simple deal that allows Ukraine to come out with its sovereignty intact, freeze the current lines of control, make a hard commitment that NATO won't admit Ukraine to NATO, which is something Putin's been asking for for a long time. But in return, I'm going to require that he exit his military alliance with Xi Jinping, which is the single greatest threat that we face today is the Russia-China military alliance. Okay. And so I, I don't, view, well, let I me stop him. you. Let me stop yeah. you. I don't believe he will do that. All right. I, I don't will, believe actually. he, okay. So you are basing your hope on what specifically? I don't believe that Putin's yeah. going to blow his alliance with Xi up. You believe the opposite. That's convince right. me, but convince me with some facts. Okay, facts are good. And the way I, the, first I'll give you an analogy to think about it, and then I'll give you the facts of the present. The analogy was everyone said the same thing about Richard Nixon and Mao Zedong in 1972. Did Nixon trust Mao? Did the United States trust Mao? No, we did not. Was Mao a good person? No, he's not. But that was irrelevant because the point was, how do we pull him out of the USSR? And the reason why is Mao had an ego. He didn't like being Xi Jinping. He didn't like being uh, Brezhnev's little brother back in the USSR era. And so Nixon did a deal with Mao that pulled them out of Russia's or that back then the USSR stranglehold. I see Putin as the new Mao. So on the face, it's a honky dory relationship, right? They have the strategic no limits partnership. But look closely. Now you got some facts you asked for, Bill. Well, one of them is every time Putin now meets with Xi Jinping, like at the 2022 summit, he sends weapons to Vietnam and to India. Those are two countries that border China. That irritates Xi Jinping a lot. But Putin does not like being Xi Jinping's little brother in that relationship. But you have gonna, you're going to have to do something other. Look, Nixon I'm going to give you one more fact. I'm going to give you one more fact. Well, all right, but let, let, me set, yeah. let me set it up. Nixon got through to Mao for economic reasons. China yes. was starving. Okay? Yes. And that's and how they got that too. deal done. Right now, you're not giving me any all right, reason how Putin will benefit from your deal. So Putin's sure, so going to look weak, all right, pulling we his troops out. We will reopen economic relations with Russia is, nah, he is a key care. part of this. He's selling oil oh. all over the place. He doesn't need well, the it. Well, the fact of the matter is he's not. I mean, Russia's 
e economy has gone down since you took it out has. the Nord Stream 1 and 2. And if you open economic relations with the U.S., that's more promising for him than being stuck in bed with Xi Jinping. Look, he it's didn't not have just to, the U.S. He knew before it's he invaded. It's the West as we know it. He knew before he invaded Ukraine that was going to happen. He doesn't care. Well, here's what, but here's what he asked for before he invaded Ukraine, though, Bill. He said he wanted a hard commitment that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO. That's a big deal to Russia, NATO admitting Ukraine. But we're going to sell out Ukraine. I don't particularly think We're not going to sell point. out Ukraine. Well, we're you're not going to sell out Ukraine. Sure you are. You, you're selling them Ukraine out because- Ukraine comes out with its- I'll respectfully disagree with you here, Bill. Ukraine, on my deal, will come out with its sovereignty intact. I don't think Ukraine no, is going to be on a trajectory it to come out with its sovereignty It loses 20% of its territory. The Russian-speaking territories that have gone ping-pong for over the course of centuries. It's, it's within yes, the Ukrainian the border. Ukraine loses 20% of their territory. Ukraine ends up being a sovereign nation at the end of it. But our job isn't to look after Ukraine. Our job is to look after the United I, States. I got that. And, and Ukraine's so I think it's not going to deal for Ukraine. Zelensky is never going to sign off on this. Zelensky ever. doesn't. I mean, with due respect, Bill, Zelensky's bills are being paid by the United States. Okay, the but government then employees of the wins. Ukraine government are being paid by our taxpayers. Okay. So I think we got that we the, have we got a, a bit vision. of a say in what happens there. We have a gentleman's disagreement. I don't think Putin would make the deal. And I know Zelensky Let me just say wouldn't. one more fact, though. You asked for a fact, Bill. Let me just leave you yeah, with one more. Go ahead. China is trying to build a railroad in northeast China to reach the ocean. And northeast China is impoverished because of it. But it runs through Russia. Putin won't even let Xi Jinping do that right now either. So there are cracks in that armor of that relationship. I think now is our moment to actually get this right during this window, telling Putin, We'll reopen economic relations with the West. We'll give you what you asked for before you invaded Ukraine, which is a hard commitment that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO, which, That's by the way, one. is what James Baker told Gorbachev and promised him in 1990. We went back on our word with NATO's expansion. Give them that. Then we pull Putin out of the relationship with Xi Jinping. That's how we avoid World War III. And by the way, that's also how you deter Xi Jinping from going after Taiwan. Okay. Because China's bet is with Russia's in their camp. The U.S. won't want to mess around with them. All but if I'm Russia's not is, in China's camp, we're in a better it's an situation. You have an interesting wish list. But even if I were your secretary of state, I don't think I could pull that deal off. And I have a lot of confidence in my ability. All right, let's go back into the USA. So what we all know the Department of Justice and the FBI is corrupt. You, you agree yes. with that, right? Wholeheartedly. Okay. So I think any clear thinking person understands the corruption that is seeped yes. into the Department of Justice and the world's most powerful investigative agency, the FBI. Are you going to defund the Department of Justice? How I know you'll fire Merrick Garland. You'll bring in your own guy. I understand that. But it's the bureaucrats within. Yes. Not the unelected people that have really, right. really corrupted the agencies. How are you going to deal with that? So you're correct about that. Let's start with the FBI, Bill. I will shut down the FBI. It's not just about replacing Christopher Wray. We have to shut the entire institution down because its culture is part of what actually creates that rot. People say, is this practical? The answer is yes, it is. There's 35,000 employees at the FBI. 15,000 of them are agents on the front lines. We will reorganize them to the U.S. Marshals, which isn't corrupted in the same way, which is on the front lines of the child trafficking problem in this country. We'll put them at the DEA fighting the fentanyl epidemic, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network at the U.S. Treasury with actual expertise in white collar crime. But the 20,000 bureaucrats that report into the J. Edgar Hoover building of the FBI, they're going to be fired and have to find honest work in the private sector. That's how we actually drive that change, where other Republicans will say, hey, I'll fire Christopher Wray. You're missing the point. You had James Comey before. You'll have James Comey 2.0 afterwards. You have to shut down the bureaucracy itself when the bureaucracy itself is as right, rotten it's as it's become. Two your to comments three year suggest to me you understand that. I, I get it. But it's a two yeah. to three year rebuild. Look, it's our not a rebuild. It's a reorg. Actually. All right. We're whatever. Moving people it's to two to three years before you can get all of that in motion. I think it's one year. It's one year. We'll be done right. by the end of 2025. I don't think everybody has your kind of energy. Mexico is a threat to the United States because the cartels pretty much run the country. How would you deal with Mexico to stop the narcotics and the human trafficking? Specifically. Yes. yes. So one thing we got to observe, it's an opportunity, is 
There's a 2024 election in Mexico. AMLO, that's the current president of Mexico, Obrador, he's been a disaster. He has embraced what's called the hugs, not bullets policy towards the cartels. And I believe that much of the Mexican government is captured by the cartels, but there's an opportunity. Claudia Scheinbaum is likely the person who's going to win that election. But whoever it is, let's say it's Claudia. I'm going to have a call with Claudia early in 2025, likely in February 2025, and have a serious straight conversation. No mincing words, straight talk here. For a tiny fraction, and I mean tiny, we've done the math on this. We're talking single digit percentages potentially of what we will have spent in Ukraine by that point in time. For that tiny fraction, we will help Mexico regain its sovereignty from the Mexican drug cartels because that's a problem for Americans here in the U.S. You bet. And we're going to help them solve that problem. But if she doesn't want to do it, we're going to solve the problem one way or another. I so will would use you our designate, military. Would you designate the cartels as terror groups? And yes. you need to read my that, book, Killing the yes. Killers, by the way, because then you could do, go and do it. All right, final question and about you. And you can also you. use our own military as an easier first step, Bill. Just put the military on our own southern border. Oh, absolutely. The wall is not enough. Absolutely. Because there's tunnels underneath the wall. Use our own military at the southern border. But, but that still doesn't solve the cartel Mexico problem. No, that's, that's the gotta, first step. You got to take we'll those help guys Mexico do out. it. And if not, we will get in there and get the job done I ourselves. Like it. That's the answer. So you're not going to win the re uh, Republican nomination. You're just not yes, I am, happen. actually. Okay. Yes, I am, Bill. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm not going to make Trump you a, in 2015. I'll be so, happy to so make you a you. charitable bet, but it wouldn't be fair. I don't think you're going to win the, uh, the primary. Um, you're entitled to your opinion. Of course. That, but I think and and, and I'm glad you feel that you are going to win because that shows self-confidence and motivation. I don't. Not uh, disparaging you at all. I'm a realist. But you are building a profile. Uh, that's what you're doing. If you look at throughout history, it takes a while to get where you want to go. Now, it's a different age with the Internet now. You can get there faster, but it's going to take you a while. So say you don't succeed this time around. Now, Trump may appoint you. Trump likes you because you haven't badmouthed him. Um, he may appoint you somewhere. I would if I were him. What job would you like? Look, I'm not a plan B kind of guy. You're not? I didn't get to where I am in life, and I'm not going to lead this country by being a plan B kind of person. Here's what I will say is I would like to appoint Trump as my most important mentor and advisor while I'm in the White all right. House. He's not going to do reason, it. But the right. reason he and I have respect for each other is not because one of us is, is or isn't bashing each other. We've known each other since I wrote my first book. And I think that it's going to take outsiders to change this broken federal bureaucracy. I'm the outsider in this race. The difference with me, Bill, is I've got fresh legs. I'm 38 years old. I'm not yet tired and jaded and cynical. And I think it takes someone whose best days are still yet ahead in life to see a country whose best days are still ahead of itself. All right. And I, that's, um, that's why I'm in this race. And I think we're on our way up. And when I'm elected, and I do expect to be the next president, I will take Trump as my most important advisor and mentor because I don't want to start from scratch. I want to pick up where he left off, but take that America first agenda to the next level, militarize the southern border, shut down the administrative state, 75% layoff of federal employees in that bureaucratic headcount. That's the kind of change we're going to need to see, but I want to pick up with the great beginning that he gave us. But I think I'm going to unite this country in the process in a way that nobody else can. Okay. And I think that's why it's got to be me. Very good uh, interview. Uh, you were pretty straightforward. A little naive in my opinion, but I'm one of those guys who are old and cranky. You know, I'm, I'm not like you. Uh, I was. I like talking like you. to you, Bill. It's good because it's well, good well, for us to test each other. We yeah, make we'll each keep other in touch. That way. You know, certainly yeah. uh, you're welcome anytime you got something on your mind. Uh, we'll certainly keep in touch. And we wish you the best. And you're a patriot for trying to improve your country. Um, Vivek. Did I get it, Vivek? You got it. And, right. and, and Bill, yes. I, I'll say the same right back at you. You're a patriot. Keep up the good work. And we're going to save this country together, each of us All doing right. our part. Thanks very much for happening. This is the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Hey, guys, it's Vivek Ramaswamy here, inviting you to listen to my podcast, Truth. We just relaunched it after the campaign, and we are already riding up the podcast charts. Here's why. I think that hard, in-depth conversations about the tough issues is the only way we're going to get this country back. 
Because make no mistake, we are currently in a war for the future of America, and you cannot win a war unless you're willing to speak the truth. If you want standard conservative talking points, this podcast is not for you. But if you want to go deeper and hear the conversations you're not going to find anywhere else, the conversations that will challenge you, that will challenge me, then subscribe to Truth with Vivek Ramaswamy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I promise you, you're going to cover terrain that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Did you know every day is a perfect day for peace of mind? With American Home Shield Warranty, you are covered for unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters. Choose a plan that fits your budget and rest easy knowing repairs and replacements are taken care of. Simply contact American Home Shield when an issue arises and their trusted pros will handle it according to your coverage. Don't let worries about appliances and home systems weigh you down. Celebrate the reassurance of protection. Don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, visit ahs.com slash bill. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product is being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. All right, let's bring in uh, Thomas Baker. You may have heard the name. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. Mr. Baker was an FBI agent for 33 years, served all over the world, a very distinguished career. Um, I want to get very specific with you. I'm, I'm sure you agree with me that Merrick Garland is not Elliot Ness. He's not trying to find the truth about anything that would affect the Biden family. You're agreeing with that, right? Yes, and it's very frustrating. Okay, it's, it's sad. It's sad for this country. But the FBI, now I've had an ongoing um, disagreement with Chris Cuomo on News Nation, and I'll be on there again tonight. Cuomo claims the FBI has been vigorously investigating Hunter Biden. I say there's no trace the FBI has been involved in that investigation at all. Who's right? Well, I think you're right. Uh, it cannot be, at least up to this point, be called vigorous by any means. And I think one of the uh, congressional sound bites you played uh, where the congressman was trying to get at the point of how long this was taking is very significant. It's inordinate. We're talking two, three, and in some instances, some aspects of it, five years this has been dragging on. And the, the one charge that was came forward um, a week ago now, the gun charge, is so clear cut, is so cut and dry, uh, that that charge could have been brought forward two or three years ago. But not only that, it, it's almost an indefensible charge. I mean, it's it's literally black and white. He lied on a government form he signed, the, the, the gun firearms, uh, gun purchase. Uh, so that was a simple case that could have been brought forward three or four years ago. Okay, but you wrote a book, I mean, about the FBI. Have you heard anything, any field office, Baltimore, anybody that has got agents actively trying to find out what Hunter Biden did or did not do? And if any money passed along to his father, have you heard a whiff about that? Bill, here's what I wrote the book because I was concerned about the changing culture of the FBI that has led it into all these problems they have today. And this case is another manifestation of it. Uh, they had the laptop. Uh, it's almost five years now, but they had the laptop very early on. They have the technical expertise beyond any shadow of a doubt to tell within days, if not within hours, the, the legitimacy and the accuracy of the laptop. And they so determined, we know that now for a fact, and yet it was allowed to go by in, in intelligence offices, including one, uh, Lisa Monaco, who had been uh, the chief of staff to, to Bob Mueller at the FBI, and now she is the deputy attorney general. She is the one, and the emails have been made public, sending around the emails with this guy Merrill from the CIA, asking these other 51 people to sign on. 
She's now the deputy attorney general. Yeah. The, well, the, I know about the politics. We all know how rotten the politics are. But there were 170 reports from banks flagging transitions that were suspicious. Financial uh, deposits and things like that were suspicious. 170, all right, from the Biden family were flagged 170 times. The FBI doesn't seem to have looked into any of them. Well, that's that's most shocking at all. And, and that's one of the really concrete pieces, and I'll call it evidence, uh, that exists that warrants uh, proceeding with the investigation, not only of Hunter Biden, but of his father, now the incumbent president. A suspicious activity report, this is something that financial institutions, and not just banks, but brokerages and others, are required to, to file when they believe there is suspicious activity. And in numerous cases, uh, and you can ask anybody in the FBI, the DEA, anybody, often one suspicious activity reports is all the probable cause you need to open a money laundering case, a drug trafficking case, or numerous uh, financial fraud investigations. One, to have a seven, 176 involving the Biden family. And then we now know, separate and, and co corroborating that, that they set up these 20-some dummy paper companies to run money through. I mean, this reeks to high heavens, and this should be jumped on with both feet, but yet but, it's uh, dragged but on. Are you, are you certain the FBI didn't look into this? Because all of the things that we've just talked about were revealed by the House investigators in Congress, not the oh, no. federal government. Oh no. oh, no, some of it was looked, looked into. But these roadblocks, whether administratively within the FBI, maliciously within the FBI, or in the Department of Justice, or in one of the U.S. attorney's offices, up to and including the attorney general, are slowing everything down. Uh, specifically, last fall, uh, one FBI agent, uh, the, uh, an assistant agent in charge in the Washington field office, was, was let go uh, by Chris Ray because he had been essentially burying and deep-sixing the investigation around the laptop. Uh, and and, and th that's all well-documented now. So Ray fired him because he was trying to obscure the laptop. So exactly. in this case, Ray did the right thing. But my overall yes. question, and I don't know whether you know or not. If you don't know, I mean, you don't know. I don't think the FBI under Christopher Wray was involved with anything in trying to get information about the Biden family. That's the way it looks to me as a journalist. Well, it's well, with very good reason, because as, as the congressman said today, so much time has gone by. Well, I mean, so, some so why? Complex a lot of time, but this is this is in, inordinate. And and what Chris Ray did did there with with that one individual last fall, uh, he's done in other instances uh, where malfeasance has come to the surface. He's fired uh, the individual or let individuals resign. Uh, in some cases, both things have happened. And he always says when he testifies before Congress or he speaks to a group, including groups of former agents. He always says, in so many words, we've gotten rid of the rotten apples. Uh, that was his response to the Durham report, which documented in great detail uh, the lack of any yeah. predicate information. To start I, don't that I don't trust Ray at all. I don't trust Garland. I think the Justice Department is, uh, we don't have one anymore. The book is The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy by Thomas Baker. Mr. Baker, thanks for uh, being with us today. We appreciate it. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Maybe an hour or half an hour after Garland finished testifying, we had an interview with Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin. We taped it because I wanted to get it right after. So everything was in the senator's head. Roll the tape. Senator, thanks for coming back. You know, a lot of people won't. They get one dose of me and they go, never again. But here you are for a return appearance. Uh, I wanted to get your feeling about Attorney General Garland's testimony in front of the House committee yesterday. How did you process that? Well, listen, these witnesses know how to evade, uh, not, not provide the full truth. 
And, you know, the fact of the matter, matter I think uh, Merrick Garland, uh, just by and large, was willfully ignorant. Uh, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that he knew nothing. Um, and the more you learn about this uh, investigation prosecution, it's just corrupt. And th th they're all kind of pointing fingers around each other that, uh, you know, they had the authority, they didn't have authority. You know, Weiss might have had the authority, but he did not have the resources. And it's kind of almost a game of whack-a-mole. You know, well, well, I needed help out of California. Uh, I needed help out of D.C. But, well, he had the authority to potentially charge, but he didn't have the resources to send from Delaware to do the prosecution in California and D.C. So it's just one great big runaround. And I think it was a purposeful runaround. They didn't want to prosecute Hunter Biden. And this is the way they, they thought they could evade doing so and just kind of keep blaming somebody else for not being able to do it. Well, the kicker of the whole thing was that Merrick Garland, um, at the end, had to review the plea deal that the judge threw out. He had to see, and he's a former judge, this absurd clause in the plea deal that said, well, federal government can never charge Hunter Biden with anything ever again, no matter what he does. And so for him, Garland, to say that, oh, I didn't have anything to do with it, I didn't intrude, he had to see that. Um, and that angered me because I thought, that that was deceptive, that that Garland, I have said this, he willfully, as you put it, didn't want to know anything. But at the end, he knew the fix was in and he's being deceptive and he's throwing Weiss under the bus. That's how I see it. Yeah, I'm not sure he had to see it. I know Weiss did. You know, Weiss was over ultimately responsible for on a what case was this big, though, Senator. You I mean, don't think you, the yeah, Attorney General so. of the United States is going to know what the president's son is going to be charged with? Come yeah. on, he has to know. Again, again, you you would you would think so. I, I I agree with that assessment. But Weiss certainly was in charge of it. You know, he's responsible for that sleazy plea agreement. And then what Merrick Garland for sure was responsible for was appointing the least independent human being on planet Earth to be the special counsel. Yeah. And if there's one if there's one requirement of a special counsel, it needs to be independent. David Weiss was not independent. He, he's the guy that allowed the statute of limitations to run, to out, run out and all serious tax right. charges. And that's just another facet. But here's another deception by the attorney general. Estrada in California, U.S. attorney, Graves in D.C., U.S. attorney, wouldn't cooperate with David Weiss. They just wouldn't partner up with him. Garland could have ordered them to do it, and he did not. He, he could have, and we also had an FBI, FBI whistleblower saying that Weiss's office didn't have the resources to do a proper investigation. I always assume that whistleblower was talking about resources in the Delaware office. This may have been expanded to the fact that he didn't have access to the resources in California and D.C., to actually do the prosecution. Again, it's just a great big finger-pointing exercise, and I think it's a purposeful finger-pointing exercise so they could all evade the responsibility of doing their job and actually instituting equal justice under the law. And, and that's corruption. You know, you know, obvious tax That's evader. corruption. There's no doubt about it. Now, right. do you believe, based upon your Persian Senate, that Joe Biden, the president, is going to be hurt down the road by this Hunter Biden situation. Do you think there is more to come? I think so. The you know the, the key piece of evidence we need now are the the personal bank records. Uh, I appreciate the fact the House I think is finally going to subpoena those because we, we you know Senator Grassley and I showed the millions of dollars that transferred uh, you know into this labyrinth of uh, shell companies you know set up to money launder. Let's let's be free or be frank about it, but we've seen the money coming in. We need to see the money going out. Now, the House has already seen money going out to how many family members? Right. What, what, what do these people do to get all this money? Nothing. They, they're selling influence. Again, this is a grift. But we need to see and we need to untangle the money transfer from the Hunter Biden accounts where he said, you know, Pop is taking 50% of his income. Well, we, we need to see those financial transactions to, to really get the hard evidence uh, on Joe Biden. But again, it's just obvious that this is a grift. This is corrupt. OK, but the Biden administration is going to litigate that. They're not going to give up the president's financial records. They're just not. 
Well, it's one of the reasons the, the House has an impeachment inquiry is to get the authority to cause do the it, courts right. to adjudicate this more rapidly. And it gives the House a, a much stronger position to demand those records. Now, the polls show that most Americans do believe that uh, Joe Biden sold influence to benefit his family. And, uh, you know, about 43 percent of Democrats believe that. If you had to predict today and I'm making you do it. <laughs> How is this going to turn out? I, you're a Trump guy, so I assume you feel that he's going to get the Republican nomination, right? Yeah, it sure, sure indicates that, yeah. Okay. On the Democratic side, you're seeing cracks from the Washington Post, the New York Times, on liberal television. Uh, Pelosi won't answer about Kamala Harris. You're seeing cracks. I don't think Biden's going to make it. I don't, I don't think he's going to be, I think he'll resign. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I think there's almost zero chance that he'll be their presidential nominee. They're going to prevent a real primary from occurring so that the party bosses can select the you know person they think has the best chance of beating whoever the Republican candidate is. And at this point, it sure seems like it'll be President Trump. So they'll hold that out to the convention. They'll have a brokered convention. You know, that could be interesting. There'll be a number of ambitious people that are going to want that. But in the end, the party bosses will decide who will be the candidate, just like they did for Joe Biden. Right. You know, um, I know Amy Klobuchar, uh, your uh, colleague in the Senate, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota. Newsom will be in the mix. Anybody other other names that you're hearing? Well, we've heard Michelle Obama. Right. But uh, that's the, more of who a. Knows? They, they will pick they will pick the person that, you know, cannot be vetted fast enough. Uh, that is going to, you know, hopefully from their standpoint, just skate into the presidency. Yeah, but I don't know if Mrs. Obama wants to do it. I, I still can't define her, but she she would be the most powerful. Final question for you. It is said that states like Wisconsin, which is, you know, could go either way. It's a toughly competitive state, Michigan, others are trending against the Democratic Party now because primarily because of economics, because people have to pay more for necessities of life. I think that's going to be a big factor coming up. It will. Uh, but abortion still is a pretty potent uh, factor in the 2022 election. I think it's probably what cost us the gubernatorial race. It certainly cost us the Supreme Court race uh, in April this year. So if the Democrats can trot that out and energize their base, and they only have to energize their base in Madison, Milwaukee, you know, Republicans have to uh, get voters from the entire state. It's a much more difficult challenge. So we need a very strong ground game. You know, spend less on ads, spend a lot more on paid field staff and run a really strong ground game. Yeah, in Wisconsin. Okay. Senator, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for helping us out today. Here's a gem from the No Spin News Vault. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So joining us now is the aforementioned Sarah Huckabee Sanders from Little Rock, Arkansas. Her book is Speaking for Myself, big bestseller. Uh, I read the book. It's very interesting. Um, full disclosure, before we get to uh, Sarah, I uh, did recommend her to my publisher, Macmillan, which eventually did publish the book under the St. Martin's imprint. So I was involved with getting that book, or at least getting some money to the Sanders family in Arkansas. Not that I want to gloat, but I want everybody to know that I did um, have a little bit of something to do with this. So, um, Sarah, when you were working at the White House and you heard these personal attacks on yourself, you're a human being, all right? A mom, a wife. How angry did you get? 
I mean, certainly, I don't think there's anybody that likes to hear those types of things said about them. For, for me personally, we went into the White House fully prepared to defend our positions, defend the president's agenda. But I think most of us were very surprised by how aggressive the attacks were. Um, and not from nobodies. These were from mainstream, uh, in some cases, household names, media figures on main, main anchors at stations uh, attacking us not for an agenda, not for our policy, but attacking us personally. And that was something that was very surprising to me. Um, you know, definitely didn't like it, but in many ways it emboldened us to fight back, stay strong and keep going uh, and call out their hypocrisy even more. Now on page 110 of your book, you do address the wolf situation, which was New Year unique because you weren't watching it on TV. You were sitting a few feet away from her in a Washington ballroom at the correspondence dinner. Um, and you, I, I took away from the passage that you write about this, that you were emotionally upset that evening and you discussed it with your husband who was sitting uh, in the room as well. Um, did you talk to Ms. Wolf at all, because you were very close to her, about what she did? Uh, not after the fact. We greeted each other briefly just before we went on to the stage. But after it was over, I was sort of swarmed uh, in their defense by several members of the media who apologized for her, but also uh, by my friends and fellow co-workers uh, at the White House to kind of, you know, check on and say, like, don't worry about this. Let's fight back. And, um, you know, I'm glad you stayed there and set strong um, and held your head high as you should have in that moment. So she and I never spoke after that moment. And I don't think we ever will. I've, I have no reason to talk to her at this point. I think um, we've had enough exchange for one lifetime. All right. And as I said, her career is nowhere and it never be anywhere. So she actually hurt herself by doing that. But um, if I were there, I would have taken the little bread roll and kind of right, bounce right up the head. But I'm immature, and I don't, I don't advise anybody to do that. Now, your book is uh, fairly positive to uh, Donald Trump. Um, no cheap shots, uh, no regrets. Yeah, you still believe in the man. Were you surprised when John Bolton, for example, turned on the president, wrote a book um, that was very, very negative? Were you surprised? Not really, because that's who John was in the White House. Um, he was always running his own operation, his own agenda, and we get very angry when it wasn't his agenda getting carried out. On more than one occasion, he came into my office and wanted me to put out a statement that I knew was contrary to what I'd heard the president say on a particular matter um, only hours or days before. And th that was a regular for him. So I, I wish I could say that I was surprised, but I'm not. But I'm certainly disappointed that somebody would take a role like his I, I think that it absolutely puts our country and our national security in jeopardy when he writes a book like he does um, and betrays the trust of the president and the rest of his co-workers by putting that type of information and in many cases false information out into the public. So you do see it as a betrayal, as a Judas move? Absolutely. And I, I, I'm glad that they're uh, looking into whether or not some of the information he used in his book was classified. I went through a lengthy process in order to get my book cleared by the White House and make sure it didn't contain any classified information. My understanding, his book was never cleared for publication. Um, and so I, I definitely think it's a good thing they're looking at that his role, and I think he has hurt that role for any person moving forward by politicizing it and by um, putting that information out there. If he had felt so strongly that the president was a danger, why did he stay for so long? Why didn't he speak out sooner? I think we know why. He wanted to make money. He wanted to sell a book, and that's exactly what he's done. And I think it's disgraceful to do what he has done throughout this process. Did you read the Woodward book? I did not. And you okay. know what? I didn't have to because um, he spent, you know, obviously everybody wants to talk about the number of hours he spent um, talking to Woodward. I spent almost every day with the president for two and a half years. So I didn't need to read the Woodward book. But I, I just, I, I, yeah, I asked you that question because I have a better 
question coming up, but I wanted to establish that you haven't read it. So in the book, um, you got former Secretary of State Tillerson, former Secretary of Defense Mattis, and former Defense National Defense Chief Coates all talked to Woodward. They weren't quoted, but they obviously talked to him because their narratives are the first half of the book. All of them basically criticized the president as essentially being immature and not able to decision make at the level a president should be. If you wanted to just do a whole um, estimation of the three of them, that's what they told Woodward. And Woodward spends about 120 pages on that. Are you surprised that all three of those men took that posture? Uh, a little bit more so, not by all three. Certainly, I think a couple of them um, is that is to be expected. But I again, I think it is problematic to have people that are that intimately involved. If you feel that way, then why did you participate and stay in that administration for so long? Why didn't you speak out? And why do so in such a cowardly way? If you have a real problem, um, talk about it publicly or talk about it directly to the president in the moment. Um, don't wait until later, just before an election, to, to go out and put your voice into a book, but not really put your name on it. I, I have a problem with people who leak anonymously. Um, I put my name on the record when I'm putting a statement out, especially if it's as charged as some of the statements that these individuals are making. Um, of the three, Tillerson, Mathis, and Coates, did you have any problem with those three? Did you respect them at the time? Uh, I had a good relationship with Secretary Mattis. Um, my back and forth with him was in a different capacity, obviously, than between him and the president. Um, Secretary Tillerson, I did not think was a good fit for the president from a very early point that was just never going to be a relationship that was to the benefit of the administration. And so, um, Director Coates, I didn't spend as much time with him uh, in and out because most of what he does is not a public facing role. And so my interactions with him were a, a little bit more limited, but personally got along with him fine. Um, okay. But I, again, I, I don't love the way the aftermath ha has worked out and the role that they've chosen to play. Now, you know that I've known the president for a long time and wrote a book on him, The United States of Trump, a history book. Um, I know that he asked you advice far beyond what a spokesperson usually is um, asked. So he wanted to know your opinion. Am I correct? Yes, I, I, and I think a lot of that was because I was very candid in my conversations with the president. Um, if I disagreed with something, I told him. If I agreed with something, I told him. Um, if I thought we could say things in a different way, uh, I would say that as well. And so, um, but I did that in a closed door setting. And once the president made a decision, my job was to communicate the president's decision. I didn't come with my own agenda. And I think he knew that. And that was one of the reasons that he brought me into the room and trusted me to weigh in on a number of topics. So you, you inherited your candor from your father, Governor Mike Huckabee. <laughs> um, how, did you handle, uh, how did you handle the president's moods? He's a moody guy. Everybody knows that. Sometimes he's... Uh, you know, a brilliant, and sometimes he's dour. How did you handle that? Um, you know, I had a good relationship with the president, and um, we had certainly some back and forth, but I actually really enjoyed being around him. I think he has just a larger-than-life personality. And on the days where, you know, I knew he wasn't in the mood to, to fight, then maybe that wasn't when I brought him a laundry list of things that I needed to go over and get answers on. And so I, I think having that kind of good back and forth allowed me to know when I should push and when I shouldn't um, and when to ask for certain things and when to, when to wait. All right. Now, I know um, your job pretty well. I know Bill Shine, who's a communications guy in there. And I know the hardest part of your job, and you do state this in your book, was cleaning up after Donald Trump said stuff that the press went crazy about. That was the hardest job. I want to give the audience 
an example of how the president does speak from yesterday when he talked about a CNN reporter getting roughed up by police. Go. They grabbed them. They grabbed them. They grabbed them. They were grabbing them left and right. Sometimes they grab, they grab one guy. I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter. Get out of here. They threw him aside like he was a little bag of popcorn. But no, but I mean, honestly, when you watch the crap that we've all had to take so long, when you see that, it's actually, you don't want to do that. But when you see it, it's actually a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful sight. All right. So then the press goes wild. It's a beautiful sight that a reporter got roughed up. And then you... Uh, not you now. I mean, that falls to Kaylee McEnany now. But you, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, had to, had to deal with that, with the hostile press. Was that the toughest part of your job when the president would go off like that? No, honestly, it really wasn't. Um, you know, like you said, you've known Donald Trump for a long time. He's not different now than he was when he ran and when I worked on his campaign. So I knew what I was signing up for. I know that if the president gets hit, he's going to hit back, usually 10 times harder. I know that sometimes uh, he likes to tweet things that everybody doesn't love. And so that was going to be part of the challenge. I think the hardest thing for me was how personal uh, some of the reporters got and how I think just hypocritical they got. Here I was, the third woman, the very first mom to ever hold that job, um, the first White House press secretary ever to need Secret Service. So those moments were far more difficult than uh, working for the president and responding to a few tweets or maybe some uh, comments at a rally. I knew that part of the job was going to be there when I took it. But I also knew that the president was fighting to try to make our country better. And whether you like his style or not, it's hard to argue with the substance of what he was doing and what he accomplished. And so I was always able to go back to that. What made it more difficult was how outrageous the press and the liberal mob got day after day and how they continued to get worse and were so willing to come after not just the president, but everybody around him. And nothing was off limits. Nothing was off the table for them to attack us on. Why do you think he's hated so much? You know, I, I think there are probably a lot of reasons. I think one of them is, is that he doesn't need them. He goes around them. And these are people that are very self-important. They're very proud of the way they turned out. And the president has gone around them and gone directly to the American people. He calls them out on the daily basis and it drives them crazy. They said he would never win and they thought that there was no way he could beat an institution like theirs after the 2016 campaign. And not only did he do it then, but he's been doing it pretty much every day since. And they just keep getting madder and madder as a result. I think Amy Comey Barrett is going to be the nominee for the Supreme Court. Um, how bloody do you think this is going to be? You went through the Kavanaugh hearings. You saw how awful that was. Miss Barrett, is she uh, in line for that kind of treatment? I, I think she is. I think she's demonstrated an ability uh, to fight back, certainly in her 2017 hearings uh, up against Senator Feinstein and others who attacked her for her religious beliefs. Um, I think that the Democrats are disgraceful in the way that they handled the Kavanaugh hearings. I fully anticipate that we will see uh, part two of that movie in the hearing for whoever the president chooses. And um, I wish I could say that they had learned their lesson, but I don't think that's the case. Let's not forget the outrageous accusations that they put up against Judge Brett Kavanaugh, somebody who had been through multiple background checks, uh, an upstanding citizen in front of his wife, his daughters, they put them through hell and they didn't care. That to me is one of the things that is so mind-blowing. They have no problem absolutely destroying people's lives without regard to them or their family. I think we can expect them to try to do that again. And I think it will backfire in the same way it did with Kavanaugh, re-energize the Republican base and help the president in November. All right. The book is Speaking for Myself, Faith, Freedom, and the Fight of Our Lives Inside the Trump White House, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And uh, thanks for coming on, Sarah. Anytime you got something on your mind, we'd love to have you. Uh, the book is already a big bestseller. I recommend it 
to the Bill O'Reilly audience, and uh, I want you to have a nice fall out down there in Arkansas. Best to your dad, and uh, we'll talk soon, I hope. You bet. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. To watch the full episodes of the No Spin News, visit BillOReilly.com and sign up to become a premium or concierge member. That's BillOReilly.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.